am glad you made it here today. There I am. Uh, I'm glad I made it here myself. We all made it through another week, so thank God for that. Well, we are continuing through our series called The Gospel, which is a journey through the life and the ministry of Jesus. And we're in the second week of a chapter that we're calling Called. We're looking at some of the key moments when Jesus stepped into his calling, and we're also learning how each of us can step into our calling. But before we dive into this morning's story, I want to tell you about a famous experiment called the Marshmallow Test. Now, some of you probably know about this test because it's been in the news many times over the years, but here's the basic idea. In the late 60s and the early 70s, researchers wanted to get a better understanding of something called delayed gratification. And you know what that is, right? Delayed gratification is when you wait to get something you want. So the researchers developed a plan. They got together a bunch of children between four and six years old, and they put each kid in a room, sitting at a table, all alone. Then the researchers placed one marshmallow on the table. And they told that child, okay, you can eat this first marshmallow right now, but if you wait 15 minutes without eating the first one, I'll give you a second one later. And with that, the grown-ups left the room, and the child had to resist this temptation of eating that first marshmallow. Now, this test has been given many times, and it's a lot of fun to watch. In fact, we have a video of several kids taking this test. Check this out. So that boy at the end, he did a great job. Uh, I'm, I'm sure his parents are very proud of him. But years ago, with that original study, researchers found that less than one-third of the kids delayed gratification in order to get that second marshmallow. But that wasn't the end of the study. They followed up with these kids many years later, and guess what they found? The children who were able to wait... They seem to be higher achievers in life. They, they scored higher on their SAT test. They advanced to higher levels of education. They scored well in other measures of life, too. Now, as a parent of three children who are still fairly young, part of me wants to give that test to our kids. What would we learn? Are they going to turn out okay? Is one of them headed for low achievement or a life of crime? It makes you wonder, doesn't it? 
Well, like many things, the results of that study are more complicated than what you see at first glance. In recent decades, research has shown that delayed gratification is not just a skill that you're born with or not born with. There are several environmental factors that play into this. Our ability to resist temptation is something that can be encouraged and developed. It's like a muscle that gets stronger with training and repetition. And with that in mind, let's think about this. What if all of us could learn to have more and more victory over temptation as time goes by? Imagine all the pain that you could avoid, not just for yourself, but for others around you. Imagine how your future could change for the better. Now, the good news is, it is absolutely possible to grow in this area. But the bad news is, we won't do it by ourselves. We're not strong enough. But God is strong enough, and he's also willing to help us. But in order to connect to God's power, we have to look to Jesus, and that's exactly what we're going to do today. So let's pick up where we left off last week. We are at a pivotal point in the life of Jesus. For several weeks now, we've been laying groundwork. We've been building up to something big. We looked at Old Testament prophecies that told of a coming Messiah, and then finally, Jesus was born. The Messiah had come. But it wasn't quite time for Jesus to begin his ministry. The world still had to wait for Jesus to grow up. During his boyhood and his teenage years and then through his 20s, there really wasn't much exciting that happened. But finally, at age 30, things kick into high gear. Last Sunday, we read from Matthew chapter 3, where Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist. And that day was like the inauguration of the ministry of Jesus. It, it was God's big announcement that Jesus is the Messiah. On that day, Jesus stepped into his calling to establish God's kingdom, to seek and to save a lost and dying world. And do you remember what happened right after Jesus was baptized? We read that in Matthew 3.17. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love with him, I am well pleased. This was a powerful moment. God the Father said, this is my boy. I love him, and I'm proud of him. That would have been so encouraging for Jesus to hear. When you have a, a tough job to do, it really helps to know that your dad loves you, and he supports you, and he's cheering you on. But check out what we, what we read in the very next verse. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now look at that first word, then. You know what that means? It means then. <laughs> this is the very next thing that happened after that mountaintop moment. The Spirit, God's Spirit, leads Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. Doesn't that strike you as very odd? If I was writing the script, Jesus would walk away from his baptism and say, okay, let's get down to business. Let's assemble a team. Let's start changing lives. But that's just me. God had a very different plan, and Jesus had a very different calling. Apparently, God called Jesus to go through a time of intense testing. Jesus would first be driven to a place of physical exhaustion, complete weakness, 
And then he would be tempted three times by the greatest tempter of all time, the devil himself. So as respectfully as possible, I have to ask, why would God even allow this, much less lead Jesus into that struggle? I think that's a pretty good question. I mean, look at the Lord's Prayer. In that prayer, Jesus taught us to go to God and say, lead me not into temptation. So what's up with that? On the one hand, the Spirit of God leads Jesus to be tempted. And then you skip over a few pages and Jesus tells us, listen, you better ask God not to lead you into temptation because I've been there and it ain't pretty. Well, this is a theme that we're going to see throughout this story. When we don't understand what God is doing, how will we respond? Will we choose to trust him or will we try to take matters into our own hands? Well, what we're going to learn from Jesus is that God's plan is always, always the best plan. For example, in this case, why would God lead Jesus to be tempted? There are probably several reasons, but one of them is found later in the New Testament over in Hebrews 4.15. That verse says that Jesus was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Jesus can relate to our struggles because he's been through it. However you've been tempted, he's been there. He knows what it's like. But Jesus won the battle against temptation every single time. And that gives us hope. It also gives us an example to follow. So let's read through the story of what Jesus went through out in the desert. Follow along with me in your Bible or your Bible app or up on the screen. We'll be in Luke chapter 4. And we're going to read the whole story from start to finish. So hang on, here we go. Luke 4, starting with verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. I would say so. If the devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to them, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. So three temptations. First, the devil says, turn this stone into a piece of bread. Second, he says, worship me and I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. And finally, the devil says, jump off this temple and let everyone see that God will send his angels to save you. Now, we may look at those temptations and say, my struggles aren't anything like that. I, I can't relate to any of these things. But the reality is, Every kind of temptation falls into one of three categories. There are only three ways that any of us are tempted. 
If we skip over to 1 John chapter 2, uh, we learn what those three categories are. So let's read that, 1 John 2, starting with verse 15. John is talking to a group of Christians here, and he says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. So first of all, John says that followers of Jesus should not love anything in the world. But that seems kind of weird, doesn't it? Uh, how can love be a bad thing? Why would he say that? Well, what's the greatest commandment? God calls us to love him with all of our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength. God calls us to have no other gods but him. Now, it's okay to appreciate God's good gifts, but it's not okay to worship those gifts. But we struggle with that because there are times when we really desire those gifts, right? We're all tempted to run after the things of the world. We're, we're tempted to place those things above God. And that's when we feel like saying, I'm sorry, God, but I want this thing. Whether you want me to have it or not. And to help us understand this, John puts the things of the world into three categories. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So let's apply this to the story of Jesus. How did those three temptations fall into these three categories? First, what about turning a stone into bread? Well, the real temptation here is for Jesus to pursue the lust of the flesh. Now, of course, it's not a sin to want a piece of bread. Bread is one of God's good gifts. In fact, a hot roll with some butter sounds pretty good right now. But everybody knows that we need food to survive, so what's the problem here? Well, any lust of the flesh is connected to one of your internal appetites, like the hunger for food or the hunger for sex. And those appetites are fine within God's boundaries. But when we put those gifts above the giver... We're headed for trouble. But now what about Jesus? Didn't he have every right to satisfy his appetite for food after going hungry for 40 days? Well, of course he did, unless you factor in his God-given mission. A vital part of God's plan was for Jesus to suffer on earth. And in this case, Jesus was called to experience temptation and not give in. Later on, he was called to go to the cross and sacrifice his life to pay the penalty for our sins. And when Jesus was on the cross, he could have called down legions of angels to rescue him. But if Jesus had been rescued from that agonizing death, his mission would have been a failure. All of us would be living without any hope of forgiveness. We'd have to pay the price for our own sins. So when Jesus was hungry in that desert, in that moment of temptation, we may not understand all the reasons behind it, but Jesus understood that he was being called to suffer, called to depend on God. And because he knew that, Jesus responded to Satan with Scripture. In Matthew's version of the story, Jesus says, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Jesus is saying, no, I will not meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. I'm going to trust that God will provide what I need. 
So what about that second temptation to seize the kingdoms of the world by worshiping the devil? What category is that? Well, it's the lust of the eyes, isn't it? The devil showed Jesus those kingdoms, and he hoped that Jesus would, would be attracted to them and want them. Now, we might read this and think, well, doesn't everything already belong to Jesus? And yes, that's true. But it's also true that God has allowed Satan to have some level of power in this world. So apparently the devil did have the authority to make this offer. But why would this be attractive to Jesus? Well, imagine those kingdoms. Rome, Egypt, Greece, Assyria, Persia. If Jesus took hold of those kingdoms, the world would instantly recognize him as the king of all kings. It was like a shortcut to accomplish his mission. All it would take was one little bow. I mean, he, he wouldn't even have to mean it. But it wasn't God's will for Jesus to take a shortcut. And it certainly wasn't God's will for Jesus to bow to the devil. So Jesus refuses to compromise. And he quotes scripture once again. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus says, I won't do the right thing at the wrong time, in the wrong way. And finally, let's think about that third temptation. The devil tries to get Jesus to leap off of the temple to be rescued by angels. So what was the attraction here? Why would this seem appealing to Jesus? Well, think about the PR he could get from a stunt like that. It would be amazing for the crowded city of Jerusalem to see God save Jesus from certain death. And here's another piece of the puzzle. There was an old Jewish tradition that said the Messiah would miraculously appear at the top of the temple. So a stunt like this would guarantee that many Jews would look to Jesus as the Messiah. It's another shortcut. But this one comes with the added bonus of looking like a superhero. So what category of temptation is this? It's an appeal to the pride of life. But now, is this really fair? Because Jesus actually was God's Messiah. He, he deserved any respect or admiration that came his way. So what's wrong with that? Well, once again, God's plan required a different path. Before Jesus is exalted as the ultimate king, God calls him to spend time as a humble servant. And because of that, Jesus responds, to, Jesus responds with Scripture one more time. He says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. So all three of these temptations match up perfectly with those categories in 1 John. So the next step is to think about these areas in the context of our lives. I tried to come up with a simple definition for these categories, and here's what I've got. The lust of the flesh is when you pursue something that feels good. The lust of the eyes is when you're tempted to possess something that looks good. And the pride of life is when you're trying to promote your own position. So pursue, possess, and promote. Three points that all start with the same letter. I, I realize that's a very preacher thing to do, but I couldn't help myself. And I do think these definitions are helpful. I'll give you an example of a temptation that many of us probably remember. Cheating on a test. Does that bring back memories for anyone? I have to raise my hand there. So where would we place that temptation? What category does it fall into? 
Well, that's the pride of life, right? Because when you cheat, you're trying to promote your own position. You're trying to move closer to the top of the class. And the problem is you're doing that in a dishonest and illegitimate way. I'll give you another one. What about shoplifting? That's the lust of the eyes, right? Uh, when, when you see something, you want to possess it. And even though you don't have enough money to pay for it, and you take it anyway, you're giving in to the lust of the eyes. Okay, one more. What about laziness? Maybe you're tempted to sleep in when you should get up and go do what needs to be done. Well, that would be the lust of the flesh, wouldn't it? Because why would you want to sleep in? Because you know it will feel really, really good. So each category of temptation taps into at least one of our personal desires. And if you pursue those desires without honoring God's boundaries and God's guidelines, watch out. Because a small compromise leads to a larger compromise. And before you know it, you're participating in behavior that you once thought of as unthinkable. But how does that happen? Why would we end up doing things that we know to be wrong? Why would we go against our own values and our own beliefs? Well, we rationalize those decisions in all kinds of ways, don't we? Sometimes we look at a temptation and say, you know what? I deserve this. After everything that I've been through, after what he did to me, after what she did to me, it's about time I got something I want. Or maybe we look at a temptation and say, I'm pretty sure I can get away with this. I mean, seriously, if I do this thing, what's going to be different tomorrow morning? I doubt that anyone will ever know what I did. And then sometimes, we don't even try to rationalize. We just say, I don't care. I want this thing. It's as simple as that. But let's take a step back for a moment. What are the real consequences here? Well, we're not dumb. We all know people who gave in to temptation, and then they had to face some serious consequences. We've seen people wreck their own lives or the lives of others. Maybe you've seen that up close. Maybe it was a parent. Maybe your mom or your dad made some terrible decisions, and you got stuck with the aftermath. So yes, we've all seen that temptation can take you to a very bad place. But is that knowledge alone enough to stop us? In many cases, it's not enough, is it? We think, yeah, I've seen what happens to other people, but I'll never let it get that far. After all, it's just a marshmallow. It's just a white lie. It's just flirting. It's just a tax return. Yeah, I might be playing with fire, but I'll be the exception. I won't get burned. But let's get some perspective here. Years ago, I had a friend who helped me think about this. And he said, temptation is like the beginning of a long road. It's a path that leads to a terrible place. And whether you've gone a long way down that road or you've only taken your first step, it's still the same path. You're moving closer to the same destination. And here's the thing, as you travel down that road, the slope gets steeper, the surface gets slicker, and before long, you don't have the power to turn back. You're careening down a hill, and you've lost control. And where is it that you're headed? 
James chapter 1 puts it this way. Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. And then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So it doesn't matter whether you're on step number one or step 101. Temptation is a road that leads to destruction and death. So no, it's not just a marshmallow. There's a lot more at stake here than what we think. But what's going to help us? What will it take for us to make better decisions? How can we stop temptation from destroying our families and our future? How can we start having victory over temptation? Before we answer that, we have to dig a little deeper. See, underneath all of our desires and temptations, there is a doubt that's at the root of our struggles. Here's the question that's underneath it all. Can God be trusted? If we're ever going to have victory over temptation, this is where we start. So let's learn from the example of Jesus. Let's identify some proven methods for overcoming temptation. And let's start with that question. Can God be trusted? You know, I brought this up earlier. When you disagree with God or you don't understand what he's doing, how will you respond? Will you choose to believe that God is completely faithful, completely good, that he truly loves you and he wants what's best for you? And then when God says no to one of your desires, will you assume that he's got a very good reason for saying no, even though you may be completely clueless as to what his reason may be. You answer those questions, and we'll have a very good idea as to whether you'll be able to resist temptation in the future. I want to go back to that marshmallow test. Remember that? When I told you about that study, I left out an important update. Just a few years ago, in 2012, a different group of researchers did a follow-up study and just like before, they put a child in a room and they said, you can have one marshmallow now, but if you wait, you can have two later. Except this time, they added a little twist. Before the marshmallow part of the test, the researchers went in with some of those kids and they made a promise. And then they broke that promise. With the rest of the children, they went in and made a promise and kept it. Now, do you think those two factors made a difference in how those kids responded? You better believe it. Once it came to the marshmallow part, the group that had been burned by a broken promise, they only waited an average of three minutes before they ate the marshmallow. But the other children, the, one who, the ones who experienced a promise that was kept, those kids were able to wait an average of 12 minutes, four times as long. So you see the connection here, don't you? The more those kids trusted the person in charge, the longer they were willing to wait. So what about you? Do you trust the one who is in charge? Think about your answer, and let's go back to Jesus. What do we learn from him? Well, he trusted in his heavenly Father implicitly, didn't he? He said, no, I won't turn these stones into bread I know that's not the plan, and I know that God will provide what I need. He also said, no, I'm not going to take a shortcut. I will take the long way or the hard way because God's will is always what's best. 
So if you're going to resist temptation, you have to make this decision. Choose to believe that God is trustworthy. Now, is that always easy? Of course not. The devil is going to be in your ear saying, come on, go ahead. You deserve this. Don't wait for God to come through for you. I mean, he doesn't care about your happiness. In fact, who knows if he's even there? By the way, it's important to know that the devil's voice usually doesn't sound like the devil. We think his voice is just our own inner thoughts. But that's how he works. He's the great deceiver. Jesus tells us that Satan is the father of lies. You can't trust him, and you can't trust yourself either. The only choice that makes sense is to put your trust in God. Don't wait until the moment of temptation, because man, when those desires rise up and start to take over, we don't think very clearly. So way ahead of time, make a decision to put God's will above your own. That's part of what it means to trust. But don't stop there. When you do get to that moment of temptation and you feel your willpower starting to collapse, what do you do? Well, again, let's look to the example of Jesus. You've got to rely on a power that is stronger than yours. Remember, God has all the power that we need, and he is willing to give us the help that we need. But how do we connect to his power? There's only one way. It's through the Holy Spirit. Now, if you have not yet given your life to Christ, that's your first step. Because God puts his spirit inside of you when you become a follower of Christ. And then God's Holy Spirit will transform you from the inside out. And when you let him do his work, he will provide all the strength you need to get through even your most difficult struggles. But let's get very practical. How, how can you get the Holy Spirit to show up and help you fight your battles? Well, how did Jesus resist the devil? I'm sure you noticed, with each of those three temptations, Jesus quoted scripture. So that's an obvious action step, isn't it? You've got to get the word of God into your mind and into your heart. You know, reading the Bible is not some chore for Christians. It's, it's not another item on your to-do list. The, the Word of God is living and active. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. It pierces your soul. It judges your thoughts and the attitudes of your heart. So when we are being deceived, God's Word shows us the truth. And we're be, when we're being misled by temptation, His Word shows us how to get back on track. See, when your mind and your heart are full of Scripture, you give the Holy Spirit something to work with. Years ago, I memorized a particular verse, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. And in certain situations, when I was tempted, the Holy Spirit kept bringing that verse to mind. The verse said, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. That verse was like fuel to my soul. It reminded me not only to turn away from sin, but also to turn to God. So what verse could the Holy Spirit use in your moment of temptation? Maybe it's Romans 6, 14. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. 
You could even speak those words out loud and say, sin, you will not be my master. You don't get to destroy my future. I am covered by the grace of God. I don't have to be controlled by you anymore. There are so many great verses. I've listed a few more in your note sheet, like 1 Corinthians 10, 13, or James 4, 7. Pray through those verses. Ask God to, to let those verses come alive in you. And you know, just like last week, I need to give you one more way to rely on a power that's stronger than yours. When you are struggling with temptation, tell somebody. In fact, why don't we do that right now? Go ahead and turn to the person next to you and share your deepest and darkest temptation. I'm kidding about that. <clears throat> but I'm not kidding about telling somebody what you're struggling with. Not just anybody, but someone who's following Jesus. Someone who will point you to him and encourage you and pray for you. Just like we said last week, God has designed the church to be a place where we support each other and encourage each other. Let's take advantage of that. So, we have a plan, and it's time to put that plan into action. Let's choose to believe that God is trustworthy. Let's rely on a power that's greater than our own, and let's support each other as God leads us to overcome temptation. And then we can step into the future that he has for all of us. Let's pray. Father, we admit our own weakness. We admit that we need you desperately. Lord, I know that you have good plans for us. You have a great future in mind for us. And I also know that we would throw away that future for something temporary. Lord, I pray that uh, you'll give us uh, a clear mind. I pray that you will give us a strength that we don't have. And I pray that we will experience the victory that really gives you glory because we're just allowing your power to come alive in us. I pray these things in Jesus' name.